Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia. Today we welcome David Seroy. He is a Bitcoin researcher. We're here to discuss Bitcoin scaling solutions. David, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. All right, David, we want to talk about ZK rollups specifically today on how they apply to scaling Bitcoin. Our audience is familiar with Lightning Network as right now one of the most promising scaling solutions for Bitcoin in terms of how we bring Bitcoin to more people around the world, how we make it more accessible. But David wants to talk today about ZK rollups on Bitcoin and how they can specifically help Bitcoin scaling. So David, why don't you give people an introduction? What is the technology here that you want to discuss? And then we'll get into it. Sure. So, so rollups and ZK rollups in particular are an alternative L2 layer two scaling solution. Most people are kind of familiar with this idea that that blockchains on the layer one don't scale. And so back in 2017, Bitcoin kind of decided that we're going to go down this path of lightning network, which you've discussed a lot on here on this podcast. In the Ethereum ecosystem, they looked into things like lightning network. They looked into things called like state channels and plasma and, and, and several other scaling solutions. But eventually they settled on this, on this concept of, of what's called a, a ZK or a zero knowledge rollup as a way to, to scale a blockchain. And some people may be familiar with that term ZK or zero knowledge. And traditionally it's, it's meant as a term to describe privacy where, where you could, uh, I'll quickly just describe what, what zero knowledge is a zero knowledge proof is it's the ability to prove that a statement is true without revealing the underlying contents. So if you're doing a private payment, that's very useful. You can, you can prove that, that I did in fact have the money that I sent to, to you, Nick, and that you did in fact receive it, but we're not going to reveal those actual details. So it's a, it's a way to mathematically prove the validity of, of a statement. Nowadays, when people are, are using that term ZK or zero knowledge, it's meant more so as a scalability tool rather than a privacy tool. And it's a similar concept to where you can prove the, the integrity um, or the validity of computation that happened without making someone re-perform that computation themselves. So in the context of, of, of uh, maybe a Bitcoin scaling solution, you're saying, Bitcoin, I'm proving to you that some statement is true, but we don't want your node, you know, the, the Bitcoin network to have to recompute all that. We don't want it to have to do all of these smart contracts and go through that process. We're just going to prove to you that the end result is essentially valid. So that's a little bit on the zero knowledge concept, but getting back to Ethereum started pursuing this, this, this technology and they built it out pretty substantially. And now it's looking like it's, it's, it's a pretty legitimate scaling solution. There is a small group of, of Bitcoiners who uh, put together some research and said, could we potentially bring ZK rollups into, into Bitcoin and research papers by people like John light were written a couple of years ago. And initially it was thought that, that, okay, this would be an amazing scaling solution for Bitcoin, but it's not possible without performing some sort of soft fork, some sort of change to the base layer of, of Bitcoin. And we obviously want to avoid that because soft forks can be very contentious. They can open up attack vectors if you're changing the core Bitcoin code. But more recent innovations, which I'm sure we'll cover, things, things like BitVM combined with prior changes like Taproot and SegWit, um, uh, another technology that, that exists in Bitcoin, you may be able to kind of hack together a certain type of ZK rollup to exist on Bitcoin. 
And if we can, can build out that type of scaling solution on Bitcoin, even if it's a little bit janky, even if it's a little bit messy, if it can be good enough for us to cross that chasm to where we now have this alternative layer two scaling solution, we could introduce a new technology to Bitcoin without changing the core ethos, ethos of Bitcoin itself, without uh, kind of changing any of the, 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 the software technology, we can open up Bitcoin, Bitcoiners to a whole brand new world of, of scaling solutions, things that are not necessarily these kind of speculative quote unquote scammy things that are happening, but, but legitimate use cases like better UX and, and, and better self-custody and Bitcoin backed stable coins and, and decentralized lending and borrowing protocols. And there's a lot that could be potentially enabled by, by this alternative layer two ecosystem. And it's starting to um, get a lot of people, including myself, excited. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, River is a Bitcoin-only exchange. That means there's no confusion when you go there. They allow you to deposit and withdraw via Lightning Network. They have a zero-fee recurring purchase order feature. And what we love the most about River is not only do they encourage you to get self-custody, but they're there to help educate you on self-custody and everything there is to know about Bitcoin. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL. So we, because we talk a lot about Lightning Network, explain why we need this in addition to Lightning Network, because I believe that's your, your idea here, your thesis is that Lightning Network is a network of payment channels that use smart contracts, which are essentially Bitcoin transactions. Therefore, Lightning Network is a scaling solution that is using a protocol, not a central party. You're talking about another scaling solution that is using zero knowledge rollups, not a central party. So why do we need both here? Can you explain that to us? Sure. So, so Lightning Network has a kind of very narrow use case where, Nick, if you and I wanted to send a bunch of payments back and forth to each other, we can create this channel offline, which means outside of the Bitcoin network, and you and I can send payments back and forth very, very fast. The problem is that there's a lot of what's called on-chain footprint, that, that in order to, to first get up and running on Lightning Network, we have to do an on-chain transaction on the Bitcoin layer one. That may cost a good amount of money. And then if, if maybe I'm sending all the payments to you, but you're not sending them back to me, maybe I need to do another on-chain transaction to add more liquidity back into my balance. That's another time you have to touch the, the chain. If you and I stop transacting together, well, that liquidity is just sitting dead on, on your end of, of the channel. So maybe you have to, have to close the channel and reallocate those funds. That's another on-chain transaction. Another issue with Lightning is in order for you to receive funds, you have to be online. You have to open up your phone. Here's the QR code. You send me the funds. Then you sit there and you wait and you look for it. You can't just be offline and, and receive payments. Another issue is that you have this, this thing called inbound liquidity, which we kind of hinted at this. But before you and I start receiving payments, you have to open up this channel and you have to make sure that you're kind of ready and prepared to, to, to receive funds. You can't just you know send somebody an address and immediately start receiving funds like you would you know, with normal stable coins on Ethereum or, you know, uh, like Venmo or PayPal, like, like it's a very kind of clunky type experience. There's also things like channel jamming attacks. Um, and then uh, 
which we don't have to get into the technical nuances of, of channel jamming attacks, but there's there's kind of ways to, to mess with the Lightning Network where you jam and clog it up. It's not very adversarial. The last thing I'll say is that it has limited expressivity. So you mentioned that Lightning has smart contracts. Technically, that's true. They are smart contracts. But in the kind of colloquial way that, that, that people refer to, to, to smart contracts, it's these kind of fully expressive smart contracts where you can actually build more expressive you know, applications beyond simple payments. Lightning Network, you, you, you cannot do that. Um, so my point is, is that with Lightning Network, it has this very narrow use case. And, and maybe that's, that's legitimate. Maybe that's the most important use case, but it's it, it's payments. But I'm thinking, and, and based off what the market is, is, is saying, that, that there's tons of other use cases that, that Lightning doesn't necessarily work with. And uh, I, yeah, I guess the final thing I'll, I'll say is um, what people are starting to realize is that Lightning Network can scale payments, but it can't necessarily scale uh, self-custody very, very well. If you want to hold your own keys, you want to hold your own UTX, so you ultimately need to make a, a, a transaction on the layer one. And over time, we expect those fees on the layer one to go up very, very high. Like, are people going to be paying $1,000 to hold a, a, a UTX on a layer one? No. And you can't just directly hold your own funds like on Lightning in a self-custodial manner. You either have to be custodial or you have to pay that $1,000 fee to, 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 to get the layer one transaction. So those are some of the issues with Lightning Network and some of the things that could potentially be remedied with a alternative solution like rollups. Okay, so the, there are a lot of follow-up questions um, I want to get into. But first, I want to start with a healthy pushback on the Lightning as payments in that what we see from exchanges and what we see from node balances is that the top users of Lightning Network now are Bitfinex, Kraken, River, platforms that people are basically depositing and withdrawing Bitcoin. So that is, it is payments, right? It's transfers, it's uh, moving money around. So Lightning Network is being used by exchanges. People are using it to move money around. So is it working, in your opinion, from that perspective, that there are exchanges that are now the top traffickers on Lightning Network? Is it working for that use case of traders wanting to get Bitcoin on and off exchanges, in your opinion? Mm, sure, uh, yes. But I think we need to be kind of realistic. Like the amount of, of Bitcoin that exists on Lightning Network, I think it's only like 4,000 Bitcoin. And sure, you could say that Bitcoin's going through back and forth, the velocity of it's very high, but that like that pales in comparison to, to, to Bitcoin, even on like very trusted platforms like like wrapped BTC, which is a way to, to bridge your Bitcoin to Ethereum in a highly trusted, you know, crappy manner. I mean, it's like one one hundredth uh, uh, of it. It's 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 very very small. And I think it's also important to know that that these companies like River and like Strike and like Bitfinex, they they essentially run their channels in a kind of like permissioned way, where where the routes so so Bitcoin has routes where it goes from one party to the next party to the next party, and and that's how it routes to the end person. You know, they're not just allowing anybody to essentially connect to their to their their nodes. They're kind of being like, all right, we need to make sure that we kind of control these routes so that everything is very reliable along along the way. And it's it's a it works, but it's it's not very adversarial. Like ideally, I think everybody had this vision of lightning where where anybody could connect to everybody else's nodes and you have this amazing, beautiful, beautiful network. But now it's kind of like, you know, strike it 
uh, is like, well, you know, like we just, we want to make sure that the route's clean and it's act always works. So like, we're going to kind of control who, who, who we can connect to. Is that good enough? Is it fine? Maybe, but you know, we need to be real. Okay. Excellent. So now let's talk about the scaling solution that is provided with ZK rollups outside of lightning network. You mentioned how it took a lot of components. It took SegWit, it took Taproot, it took BitVM. So now explain to us how you describe it as janky. How is it janky? You're putting you're putting together a solution from different uh, updates to Bitcoin or upgrades to Bitcoin over the years. But the reason is you don't want to promote here a soft fork or anything that is changing Bitcoin itself. This is just something that you're proposing as a technology solution people can try non-centralized and not uh, requiring a soft fork. So explain BitVM, explain the different components here. What is the scaling solution that you're that you're trying to describe? Sure. So maybe I think it'll be helpful if I go over a timeline and then I'll kind of describe like the components of that timeline and how they've they've kind of come together today. So the first timeline is what I'll say is like pre 2013. At that point, Bitcoin is still very, very young. There's lots of ideas flowing on places like Bitcoin Talk Forum and, and people like Satoshi and Greg Maxwell and like very prominent Bitcoiners mentioned this idea of using ZKPs, zero knowledge proofs, as a way to scale Bitcoin, not just for privacy, but to scale Bitcoin. Uh, but at that point, the, the technology was still kind of young and some of these, um, these concepts like rollups, which can be used in combination with ZKPs, weren't really yet established. In 2014, the idea for side chains came about. This was a, a white paper from the Blockstream team, uh, which now runs the Liquid uh, side chain. And, uh, 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 and so that idea is that you'd have Bitcoin as the kind of core blockchain, and then you have all of these adjacent blockchains where maybe one specializes in privacy, maybe one specializes in big blocks, you know, whatever. And you could bridge your Bitcoin in and out of these eco ecosystems. So we don't alter the core L1, but you can do whatever you want on these separate blockchains. And that was seen as this potentially amazing vision. Uh, but the caveat is, is that they didn't solve the trustless two-way peg. They didn't solve this ability to kind of trustlessly bridge your Bitcoin into this adjacent ecosystem and then trustlessly bridge it back out. You have to trust some sort of party, this federation to kind of manage that, that intermediary step from moving from, to, from chain to chain. In 2017, we got what was called a software called SegWit or Segregated Witness. This was to fix an issue called transaction malleability. You don't need to know what, what it means, but it allowed us to have lightning network. Um, and so the intended consequence of, of SegWit in 2017 was to fix transaction malleability. The unintended consequence, which we didn't know necessarily later, is that it helped contribute to, to now what people call ordinals or inscriptions, where you can embed this arbitrary data into the Bitcoin blockchain. Segregated witness took the Bitcoin block and it carved out a certain niche of it and said, this is a segregated witness. So there's kind of two different um, parts of the, of the, of the Bitcoin block. In 2020, we got something called Taproot, uh, which allowed a fancy term called Merkleized abstract syntax trees, just a way to organize and structure cryptographic data. You don't necessarily know what it means. It also removed the limit on the segregated witness. So prior to that point, there was the segregated witness could only take up a certain amount of, of the block. Now it could take up, you know, more of the, the entire block space. Uh, and then in 2023, we had this announcement of this thing called BitVM, which is this claim that you could now compute anything on Bitcoin, which is this very bold and, and uh, you know, 
very, very bold claim because it's always been considered that you can't compute anything on, on Bitcoin, right? That, that it has a very restricted language. You can't do these aggressive smart contracts and we don't want it to. We'll get into BitVM in a little bit, but if we take all of those components, which I mentioned right now, we, we are kind of saying, well, maybe we can build these, these ZK rollups on Bitcoin. And what a ZK rollup effectively is, is it's a side chain, which takes its transaction data plus a zero knowledge proof, and it posts it inside of its parent blockchain or inside of, of the Bitcoin layer one. And it does this inside of the segregated witness, which was kind of enabled in 2017 uh, and which was made kind of bigger and more easily accessible in 2020 with Taproot. A ZK rollup then takes something like BitVM and it verifies the zero knowledge proof, which was posted on the Bitcoin L1. So I know that was a lot there, but those were all the kind of individual components that come together to say, we can, we can take a zero knowledge proof. We can take the data from a side chain. We post it in the Bitcoin parent blockchain. We verify it with BitVM. And if we can do all of that, then we have a zero knowledge rollup, which is essentially uh, a layer two that solves that issue, which Blockstream couldn't solve back in, um, back in 2014. It couldn't solve that trustless two-way peg. And so now you potentially have this world where you could bridge your Bitcoin into these other layer two ecosystems and then trustlessly, or I should technically say trust minimized in a trust minimized manner, bridge your Bitcoin back. And that potentially allows us to, again, cross this chasm to create this kind of metaphorical and, and technical bridge that brings us from the layer one into the L2 ecosystem and allows us to kind of enjoy that whole new frontier of all of these scaling solutions and applications and, and positive beneficial use cases for Bitcoin. Now, tell us what is the number one most promising uh, project or uh, developer that's working on this solution and then the number one challenge to this becoming a reality? Sure. So I'd, I'd say all the hype right now um, is is essentially nothing is possible unless the BitVM team uh, delivers on on what everybody hopes they they can. So BitVM again was this announcement made at the end of 2023, just you know a couple months ago, that said that they could potentially compute anything on on Bitcoin. That's the real kind of uh, game changer. And the team running that is called Zero Sync, uh, and the I don't know if you call him CEO or, you know, the person kind of running that project is named Robin Linus. Um, the primary challenge, um, it's still too early to, 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 to tell if definitively if BitVM will work as intended because it's a little bit inefficient and it does have some minor trust assumptions. So the way to think about BitVM is you have a party um, that is saying, I will perform some sort of, of computation for you. Maybe there's a type of soft fork that we want to get into Bitcoin, but you know, it would just never be accepted by Bitcoin. And somebody says, I will, I will perform the functionality of whatever you want on this soft fork, and I will perform it off chain. And I am committing onto the Bitcoin blockchain say, you know, 100 Bitcoin, they're putting something kind of at stake and saying, I will run this program off chain so that you can essentially have the functionality of, of a soft fork. If someone, if, if that person does not perform that task, 
then they could essentially be slashed and they can use those funds. So you're using this kind of game theory incentive to say, you're promising that you're going to, 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 to perform it off chain, but if you don't, you're going to lose your funds. That game can be expanded to have an arbitrary amount of people. So you could have five people in that game, you could have a hundred people in that game, you could have a thousand people in that game. And so you have one person out of say that thousand people that's that's performing this off-chain task, that, that committed some amount of Bitcoin on-chain and is performing this off-chain task. And if they if they lie about it or they don't run the program as they they promised and as they intended, then any one of the remaining 999 people can submit what's called a fraud proof. They can look at this program being running off chain. They say, hey, this part of this program right here, you did not run it properly. And they can submit that back to the Bitcoin blockchain. And then the Bitcoin can, can essentially slash and penalize. Bitcoin is not executing the program on chain. That would be like a soft fork it, it, to add that functionality. But Bitcoin is able to arbitrate whether the program was run properly. And so this is, again, not perfectly cryptographically trustless. That would require a soft fork where the Bitcoin nodes are actually executing the program and, and the functionality. But we get this kind of one event trust assumption where we say we're trusting that one out of the, the, the 999 people that are verifying this program are essentially going to be honest. And so is it perfect, perfectly cryptographically trustless? No. Is it pretty dang good? Yes. And so the net result of all of this is all that kind of timeline that I went through where, you know, we're posting the zero knowledge proof and, and, and we're creating these trustless side chains. It all hinges on that ability for this BitVM program to, to operate successfully. And right now, all of that is kind of being built out by the zero sync team and Robin Linus. Do I know a timeline? No, I'm, I'm going to guess within sometime within the next year, but I, I, I don't want to put, you know, any sort of expectations on that team. But if you have that, that is what opens up the door to everything else. And what dri what drove you toward this path of research currently? Because we've spoken in the past about stable coins uh, on Bitcoin, stable coins using Lightning. Now you're discussing stable coins using ZK rollups. What talk to us a little bit about your Bitcoin research prior to uh finding energy around this current topic sure so so first I'll, I'll cover you know other people may be interested in zk rollups for different reasons maybe they want the ability to have fully encrypted end-to-end -end transactions they want that, that that type of functionality some people may say hey we want to be able to scale self-custody uh where users aren't having to pay a thousand dollars for an on-chain transaction fee uh, some people say hey we want better wallet ux where you can receive funds you know offline without inbound liquidity for me personally you know i came into bitcoin as as a monetary maximalist to my core i still am a monetary maximalist i do believe in that idea that that if you fix the money you fix the world but what i've realized especially from reading books like yours la la layered money is that that even in a a bitcoin world you can have this, this financialization. And so simply fixing the money itself is not enough. You, you must also fix the kind of financial applications, the financialization that, that, that can occur on Bitcoin. And the way I describe it is that, is that finance is the anchor, which money must also carry if, if you want this world to succeed. And 
you know, I'm actually working on a video that I'm going to probably put out in the next couple of weeks where I kind of describe that even on even on a Bitcoin standard, even on a hyper Bitcoinized world where people are only accepting Bitcoin for commerce, you will always have that ability to to issue some sort of IOU, some sort of asset as a byproduct of an accounting entry where 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 now that is no longer tracked by the Bitcoin ledger and where all this financial shenanigans can happen. Like if I loan you, Nick, you know, 10 Bitcoin, you receive the Bitcoin. But as a byproduct of that transaction, I am minting a brand new asset, an IOU, a Nick IOU on my balance sheet. And I can use that IOU to then go and borrow against that IOU and then rehypothecate it and then, you know, pull in more Bitcoin out of savings. I'm probably getting into the, the financial nuances here, but I, I imagine someone like yourself understands what I'm saying is, is that simply having 21 million Bitcoins does not prevent, you know, savvy financial actors from gaming the system and from recreating this kind of boom bust cycle of credit that, that we thought we got rid of if we got rid of um, fractional reserve. So for me, having something like rollups, which can be more expressive and that can anchor their security to the most decentralized Bitcoin blockchain, that is the kind of realization of the full vision of, of, of this kind of uh, monetary revolution that, that, that I want. And that's kind of the bigger answer. In, in the short term, all the stuff that you talk about in your book, having things like Bitcoin backed stable coins is very important. Like inevitably, we all want everybody to be on, on, on Bitcoin, but there is a huge massive contingent of people that, that say, look, I, I love this 21 million. I love that it can't be debased, but like I live off of, you know, $10 uh, uh, a week, you know, I can't be using a volatile asset like Bitcoin. But if you can create a credibly fully over collateralized Bitcoin backed stablecoin that, that that's not subject to kind of, um, uh, you know, KYC or, or um, you know, any certain geography, then you can take that to people and say, this is a better type of stablecoin. Here, you can use this type of stablecoin as opposed to something like Tether, which feeds the fiat debt monster, which feeds the exact problems which we're trying to avoid. And, and if you do that, then every single person that demands dollars, you are actually driving that demand into the underlying Bitcoin collateral. That's what furthers this idea of hyper-Bitcoinization. Bitcoin-backed stablecoins are the bridge that get us to hyper-Bitcoinization. So I'll pause there. Now, talk to us about Bitcoin over-collateralized Bitcoin-backed stablecoins and compare them to Tether. Do this for, for an audience that might be familiar with Tether in that it's a company with some treasury bills and other short-term fixed income instruments on its asset side and liabilities in the form of USDT, a dollar linked, meaning a dollar pegged instrument, but it's pegged in that the balance sheet of Tether gives the confidence to the liability holder. So how how does a bit an over collateralized Bitcoin backed stablecoin work? You don't you, you can use the ZK rollup uh, framework or not to, to explain it. Sure. So in your example, with a traditional stablecoin like Tether or USDC, they receive dollar fiat dollars in their bank account, and then they mint a, a stablecoin. And so it's backed by a dollar. Technically, uh, what they're doing is they're actually investing those dollars in treasuries and T-bills uh, so that they're earning the yield. 
but functionally there is some form of of of, of, of fiat uh, media that is backing that that stablecoin. A Bitcoin backed stablecoin is that for every Bitcoin backed stablecoin that exists, you would expect at least one dollar of actual Bitcoin backing that. So in the Tether case, you could take one of the the, the, the tethers and you could take it back Tether and say. I want to redeem this for the $1 that you have in the bank account or for you know $1 worth of, of the treasury you essentially have. In the Bitcoin-backed stablecoin case, you're holding this Bitcoin-backed stablecoin and you're like, is this thing actually worth anything? Like, could I essentially be, be rug pulled? But you can build these smart contracts or these protocols which, which ensure that at any point in time, if you hold any one of these $1, uh, one Bitcoin-backed stablecoins that you can redeem it for $1 of, of, of Bitcoin collateral. Functionally, the way this usually works is what's called a collateralized uh, 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 debt. Uh, it's a CDP, collateralized debt position. And so if I have, just to make numbers easy, say 100,000 Bitcoin, and I want to borrow against that, I would place $100,000 of Bitcoin into a smart contract. And this would have to exist on some sort of roll up or some sort of chunk sidechain and you place that into a smart contract and then you can choose an arbitrary amount that you want to borrow against that depending on your risk level say you want to borrow 60 percent loan to value so you put in a hundred thousand dollars of collateral the protocol will literally mint uh sixty thousand brand new bitcoin backed stable coins those stable coins can then proliferate to whoever they want. I could send them to you, Nick. I could send them to Joe. I could send them to Lynn Alden. I could send them to whoever uh, I want. The caveat here is that is that if the Bitcoin price, it was worth $100,000, if it starts going down and you are potentially at that point where your Bitcoin collateral may be worth less than the amount of, of, of Bitcoin-backed stable coins that you minted, that you borrowed, then you could essentially be liquidated. So that is the risk for the borrower. If I sent you, Nick, the, the Bitcoin backed stable coins, you still have assurance that assuming the protocol is functioning properly, that, that the, the system always has more Bitcoin collateral as assets, as reserves backing the liabilities, then you always have assurance that you can take your Bitcoin backed stable coin that you received. You didn't borrow against any of your Bitcoin, but you just received this dollar value you have confidence that you can go back to the protocol and say, I now want $1 of Bitcoin instead of this, this random stable coin. And assuming the protocol functions properly, where despite any volatility spikes in Bitcoin, that there's always more of that Bitcoin as assets, it never goes fractional reserve, it's always over collateralized, then you have assurance that the Bitcoin backed stable coin maintains its $1 peg. Some people might be skeptical of, of these types of systems because there's many types of stable coins that have failed like Terra Luna. But these types of over collateralized stable coins where you are always having more in assets than you are having in liabilities and you have these liquidations that happen properly, these have actually been extremely stable. There have been many, many billions of dollars of these types of stable coins that have existed and functioned properly that have gone through 70, 75% drops in the price of the collateral and the price of Bitcoin or in the price of Ethereum. And these stable coins have maintained their peg. And so they provide um, pretty much a, a very amazing use case to show how we can create these types of uh, Bitcoin backed dollars. Now, explain to us one more time about why the 
addressing the financial rails, the financial system built around Bitcoin is so important to you as someone who believes in fix the money, fix the world. Why is it that, and you can include every scaling solution out there in this, because I know that that is really, you know, what, what you believe we have to try everything we can to make Bitcoin as best positioned to take on the entire financial system, which includes the lending complex, the banking complex, Fedwire, SWIFT, and, and contractual obligations, which include escrow, which include, I mean, really any sort of business deal or agreement. So what is it about ZK rollups and other scaling solutions that matters to you so much in, in these, in these terms? Sure. So a lot of this is actually influenced by, I'm going to introduce, you know, the Euro dollar system and the shadow banking system, which, which you've talked about so much that system, you know, was born out of the kind of like 1950s, uh, you know, after World War II, when, when, when certain rogue countries uh, couldn't get access to the dollar financial system. And all of these offshore banks started creating these ways to, to essentially, you know, issue dollars uh, into the world to these companies that couldn't get bank accounts. And so there was a, 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 a regulatory arbitrage, there was a geographic arbitrage, and there was an economic arbitrage, where by operating in these offshore, these, these offshore systems were, were much more efficient. They were much cheaper and, and, and better economically incentivized to be able to provide these kind of financial use cases to all of these countries around, around the world. And I worry that if we don't have um, something like ZK rollups, or we don't provide essentially an avenue, an outlet for these financial applications to exist in a safe manner, then we will essentially just have a Euro dollar system that gets created all over again on Bitcoin. And in particular, what worries me is my background as, as a private money lender. So I used to run a company. I sold it a couple of years ago where I was a private money lender. People would bring capital into me and I would allocate it. I would lend it out to people, you know, maybe if they were, you know, flipping a house or, or, or doing something like that, I would then receive as a byproduct of, of, of performing that, that, that loan, I would receive an IOU from them. If I loaned you money, Nick, I would get a Nick IOU. Well, in theory, I'm a full reserve lender, right? I'm not fractional reserving whatsoever, but I am taking that collateral that I received to you and I'm going to another party and saying, will you loan against this IOU? Will you give me an IOU against the IOU that I created? I mean, that is like so pernicious. And what they would do is they would take those IOUs and package them up and, and get more money. And you create this daisy chain of essentially collateral. And, and, and that in and of itself is a little bit of Euro dollar-esque. It's this kind of uh, this manipulation of the, 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 the collateral behind the scenes. And the reason why I want ZK rollups is because you can build applications that, that had that same benefit that the Euro dollar system had, that it has the geographic arbitrage that's not bound by, by, by certain countries that, um, uh, and it has an economic benefit that you can build these applications where the cheapest possible way to borrow uh, or to create collateral is by using a transparent system that's represented on the blockchain. 
And, and if you have that, then you can see these daisy chains of collaterals before they can actually explode. And again, if you don't have this stuff, it will be done off chain in this kind of financial system and you'll have this kind of boom bust. But if we represent it, you know, in kind of like a DeFi type ecosystem, then you can actually see this stuff actually happening. And you have more of a free banking type world where, where you constantly have this attacking of, of all these protocols and all of this, um, this rehypothecation that's, that's happening. And I'll bring it back to kind of, you were asking me the difference between like ZK Rollups and some of our existing solutions. From what I have researched and what I have looked into, things like Lightning Network, things like ARC, things like RGB, they, they cannot perform th this functionality. They cannot perform these kind of fully expressive financial applications. And if they can, they're in a hacky way that would be kind of expensive and, and inefficient. And so when I research it, I say, I say, if we only had those solutions, then all the finance activities are gonna be done outside of those, the, those solutions. And we're gonna have this kind of crazy daisy chain of, of, of collateral and boom and bust. But if you have a roll up, if you have applications like DeFi that can actually be built, these are like hyper efficient and hyper good um, you know, applications that we can bring all of that into an ecosystem, which is then secured directly by, by Bitcoin. And you can contain all of this financial madness. Hopefully that makes sense. Absolutely. David C. Roy, Bitcoin researcher, please tell people where they can find your work. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, David underscore C Roy S is in Sam E R O Y. Uh, don't hold anything against me. You know, Twitter's a, a wild west out there. But uh, yeah, feel free to comment, send me a DM. Absolutely. And we appreciate people uh, tuning in here to understand what's going on with Bitcoin scaling solutions. There is no one clear answer. And Bitcoin is an open source protocol project in which there are thousands of people constantly trying to improve this thing and with nobody at the center and nobody in control. So David, we appreciate your efforts in moving forward the conversation and we'll catch you guys again next time. Thanks. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, the reason that we love River is that they are a Bitcoin only exchange. There's no confusion when you go there on what you're buying. But really importantly about River is that they do not use a third party custodian. They have their own multi-signature solution that means that when you buy Bitcoin on River, that Bitcoin is not being stored by another party. River is storing it in their own multi-signature way, and they encourage you to get your Bitcoin into your own self-custody and help with educational resources on that front. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL.